0: And now, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 2 Peter. We will be looking this evening at chapter 3, finishing up our series in 2 Peter. If you would give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is inerrant, completely, in all its parts. Second Peter, chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as He does in all His letters when He speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that You would meet with us, that You would bring to us a sure and steadfast assurance of Your work on our behalf. Lord, we ask that we would reflect upon the Lord Jesus and that we would long for Him to return. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now is that time of the year when we are about to cross a clear threshold. One year will go by and a new year will come. And one of the things that we are often want to do at, at this threshold is to sit down and make up a list of all of the ways in which we would like to live the coming year. Things that we need to change, things that we need to uh, reapply ourselves to. And this is a, a good and godly thing. If we Look back at the past year and see the ways that the Lord is at work. Look at His Word and find and establish ways in our life that we can follow after Him with greater diligence. For after all, all that we learn in the Scriptures is so that we might apply it in our lives. The Word of God is to be brought into our lives for godliness, that we might trust Him more, that we might follow Him with greater fervency and that we might seek His will. And so, this evening, as Peter finishes up his second letter, this is sort of a, a so-what passage. Peter, you've told us all about Jesus, and all about His return, and all about the attacks on the church. Well, so what? How then should we live today? How then should we live coming up in 2014, and in years to come? And I think from this text we can see that Peter wants us to apply at least four ways of living in our lives. We should first and foremost live relying upon God's Word. In all that we do, we should rely upon the Word of God. And then secondly, we should live thankful for God's patience. Not just relying upon His Word, but also thankful that He has been patient, patient with us and patient with the world. Third, we should live longing for His coming, for Jesus to come again. And then fourth, we should live actively for Jesus Christ. Relying on His Word, thankful for His promise, longing for His coming, and actively for Christ. But what does this mean in a very practical way? What does it mean to live relying on His Word? Peter starts out this chapter with very clear, distinct messages. He says, now this is the second letter I'm writing to you, and I want to stir up in you a reminder. A reminder of what God has said. A reminder of how He has spoken through the prophets. Through the prophecies that He has given. Do you not know and remember that they have all come true? Let your mind just wander for a moment over all of the prophecies that you know and have read and you have seen the fulfillment of. We heard about one this morning, the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. There are other prophecies about our Lord Jesus Christ, of who He would be and what He would do. Every single one of them have come true. Not because of the intelligence of the prophets, but because they spoke only the Word of God and not a one word of the Word of God will fall. But it's not just the prophecies that God gives us. He also gives us the commandment. He gives us His law and His statutes. He speaks to us through the prophets and through the apostles. And Peter says, "...you need to remember what you have been told. Everything you do as you live should be put within those parameters." It helps us to understand how we are to live. And Peter actually illustrates this for us, doesn't he? He says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you. I need to keep reminding you. These are things we need to know over and over again. Because you see, attacks are going to come against you. Now, I realize on a wonderful night, sitting in church, after just having sung some wonderful hymns and prayed for each other, it's hard to think of vicious attacks coming upon us. But you see, Peter says, this is an assurity. They'll come in all sorts of ways. Right now we know we have brothers and sisters throughout the globe that are being physically attacked, killed, maimed, kidnapped. But even here at home, there are attacks that come upon us and upon the faith. The Christian is the target of Satan's wiles. And it doesn't always come with violence. You see, Peter here is talking now about attacks that come in the context of the church. He says, scoffers are going to come in scoffing. Now, a scoffer is kind of a fancy word, isn't it? What he means is, you have people in your midst who are smart alecks. Wisecracker. They know better than everybody else. They don't have any solutions to anything. But they're always willing to poke fun at just about anything. Poke fun at what you believe. Poke fun at the Bible. Poke fun at the way you live. Because you see, what they want you to do is abandon the faith. They want you to abandon the Lord. They want you to say, you're right, this is all silly. I'll follow after you. There is a sense in which it is intellectually valuable, to be critical of the faith. I mean, think of it now. If you go out in the public square and you say, the Bible is the very Word of God, at the best you will get snickers and laughs. You're not going to be a Ph.D. endowed chair for espousing biblical principles. We see this all the time. And yet the reality is, as, as Peter says, It's not an intellectual exercise. We've seen this over and over again. Those who are false teachers, those who are scoffers, it's not because they're too smart to believe the Bible. It's because they're too wicked to believe the Bible. Do you see how he says this? He says, they come in scoffing following their own sinful desires. You see, what they want to do is live lives unfettered by God. They want to follow their own sinful desires, and the only way that they can feel comfortable about doing that is if no one around them ever speaks the Word of God. This is what's happening in our society. Don't kid yourself. It's not about tolerance. It's not about advertising dollars. It's not about money. It's all about not wanting ever to hear the Word of God. But if we are going to live lives of godliness in the midst of that kind of a world, we must surround ourselves with the Word of God from our youngest of days all the way through till the day the Lord takes us home. We must be reliant upon the Word of God. And Peter says this. He says they're scoffing, saying, you know, why do you believe that God is coming back? Where's the promise of His coming? The world is the same as it's always been. And at first glance, that seems like a pretty good argument, doesn't it? Last year was a lot like this year, wasn't it? The summer was a lot like the previous summer and the summer before that. But Peter says, you are deliberately overlooking the facts of the universe. Because things haven't always been this way. They don't just roll on without beginning. There is a beginning to the world. The only reason the world is in existence is because God came and spoke it into existence by His Word. The only reason the world continues to exist is because God holds it up by His Word. And when He breaks in with His Word by way of judgment, the world changes radically, doesn't it? Do you remember that flood? That was the power of God. Was that just things being as they were from the beginning? No, no. God has broken into the world. and He's going to break in again. As sure as the flood came, judgment will come. You see, we can only rely upon God's Word. That is the solution for our life. But we also have to live not only reliant upon God's Word, but thankful for His patience. For you see, implicit in the attack of the scoffers is, why is God taking so long to come? If He was really going to come, wouldn't He have come in Jesus' lifetime? Wouldn't He have come before He ascended? Wouldn't He have come in the year or two after that? What's God waiting on? Is He not powerful enough? Is He not smart enough? Does He not know what's going on? Does He not want to finish the job? You see, these are the kinds of mocking and scoffing comments that we experience all the time. As a matter of fact, what Peter wrote then is more true today because it's 2,000 years further. Why is this? Well, people are tempted to deal with this delay that God has placed upon us in one of two ways often. First, there is an obsession with predicting things. We look through the Bible and we try and find the verse that nobody else has found that will tell us exactly how to correlate a prophecy with China and Iran and Russia and Ethiopia. And then we will somehow get the date of God's coming. We just recently heard of the passing of someone who predicted this, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Others say, no, you don't want to spend your time on that. Don't waste your time with that. We need to understand that God is coming but it's not that he's going to come it's in the wave of social change that's coming throughout the world it's sort of the spirit of God coming in a in a big way changing our society and that must mean what the Bible says But you see, Peter says, don't fall for either of those tricks. Don't fall for obscurity and don't fall for the social gospel. Instead, we must understand that we do not fundamentally think like God thinks. And he gives this famous passage, which is a citation of Psalm chapter 90. He says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, what I want to tell you is this is not simply a refuge text for people to flee to who believe in creation over millions of years. This is a description of how God views the world and how it's different from us. And you'll notice that there are two components to it, not just one. He doesn't just say that a thousand years is like one day. He says one day is like a thousand years. And what he means is is that God looks upon the world with far greater intensity than we could ever hope to. One day is like a thousand years to God. He can stretch out that day and see each and every second and focus upon it. But also, he has... Far different perspective on the world than we do. He looks at the span of time, and for him, a thousand years is as one day. God is patient. He is not rushed. He does not tap his feet. For him, his purpose will be fulfilled in exactly the amount of time that he has decreed. You see, his purpose is not our purpose. The delay is not for His slowness, Peter says. It is because He is being patient. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. You see, I think sometimes we view God like a teenager. You know, when you tell your teenager to do something? Clean the room, take out the trash you ask, and they say, yeah. You wait five or ten minutes. Oh, I know. I know. You wait ten or fifteen minutes. Oh, I'm getting to it. I'll get to it. That is slowness. And when that kind of slowness happens, our patience can be tested. But you see, God is not like that. He's not a procrastinator. He's not behind the times you see, Peter says it's not slowness, it's patience. God is waiting on purpose. And the important thing is, is that He's waiting on purpose for our good. Peter says He is delaying because He does not wish that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, we have to understand what this verse means. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, but He is patient toward you, the people of God, you, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is not willing that any one of you should perish. But He wants to give just enough time for every single one of you to repent. Jesus Christ will not return. Until the last of God's children repents of his sins, places his faith in Christ, and is saved. This is true. This is what the Bible tells us. And you see, this is why we must understand God's perspective. Because if we don't have God's perspective, we think God is slow, God is late, and we have complaints to bring to Him. Why are You keeping us miserable, God? Why don't You fix the world? Why don't You come back? And what we should be saying is, Come, Lord Jesus. Gather in Your people so that they all might come to repentance, so they all might come to faith, and so that Your will might be done. Every single one of the elect, every single one of those who will place their faith and trust in Christ will do so before Christ comes. And you see, those who do not understand this, who do not know about repentance, who do not know about faith, they will be caught, Peter says, by surprise. It will be like a thief coming in the night. And destruction and suddenness will come. Can you imagine these scoffers? They're like people living in a crime-ridden city. And they say, well, you know, no one's going to come. There are no thieves around. Let's leave the doors open and the light's on. And you see, we who know better look and we say, that's foolish. But you see, the problem is they don't understand how the universe works because they don't have God's perspective. The third way that Peter tells us that we ought to live is we ought to live always longing for Jesus' coming, for His return. We see this in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now, I have to admit, as we read that verse, it's a bit perplexing. I understand what it means to be waiting on the day of God. It's harder to understand what it means to hasten or speed up the day of God. What does Peter mean by this? Well, I think he means this not in an absolute sense, not that we can hurry up God, but that we need to live our lives mindful of His purpose and will. And in doing so, that hastens His return after a fashion. And that's linked really to two things. It's linked to how we live and it's linked to how we speak. So, we can hasten on the coming of the Lord by living lives of holiness. Holiness. This relates back to exactly what we had said before. If God is waiting for every one of His children to come to repentance, how can we hasten the day of the Lord? By repenting. If our sin is causing God to be patient and not to return, the more we live in light of that, and attempt to live, by God's grace, lives of holiness apart from sin, the more we are hastening on the day of the Lord. It's also true of the way we speak and the testimony that we give. If God is waiting patiently to return till all of His children have heard the Gospel and have by faith embraced Christ, what must we do to hasten the day of the Lord? Bring the Gospel. This is why our Lord says in Matthew 24, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So if you want to hasten on the day of the Lord, speak of Jesus to others. Make sure that others know of the testimony of the Lord. And remember, God has His children not just in deepest, darkest Africa. You don't need to get on a riverboat and go somewhere in Thailand. You can be right here in Katy. You could be in your neighborhood. Dare I say it, you could be in your home. Hastening on the day of the Lord. And you see, as we live this kind of life, We long for His coming. We have great hope. Look at verse 13. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now understand the context here. Peter has just said when He comes, He will come and burn up the universe. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. The old will be destroyed. And at first glance, that strikes us with fear. And we think, oh, I like those chairs. I don't want those chairs to burn up. That's a really nice piano. And let me tell you, I've got some really good books in my library that I would hate to see burn up. But you see, that's not our focus. Because you see, for the believer, what comes is so much better that we actually long for and hope for the coming of our Lord and the burning away of all that is here now, so that the new heavens and the new earth will be present in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness makes its home. Righteousness lives among us. Can you imagine a world like that? A world with no fighting? A world with no theft? A world with no murder? A world with no violence? A backbiting? A gossip? That is the new heavens and the new earth. It's a place where righteousness dwells. It's a place where we will be at home in righteousness. You see, we need to live lives that are urgent. Urgent in obedience and holiness and urgent in evangelism. We need to understand the connection between God's patience and salvation, as Peter puts it in verse 15. He says, "...and count the patience of our Lord as salvation." just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you. And he gives us an understanding that all of us have at some time or another that Paul's hard to understand at spots. But what he is saying is is that this is hard to understand at spots. It's hard to understand that God's patience is a part of His salvation which should energize us to action. You see, what we want to do in our flesh, is as we see God not coming, is to sit down and flop and say it doesn't matter. When's He going to come? Why isn't He here yet? And you see what Peter says is the patience of God should drive you to redouble your efforts. Redouble your efforts to understand and know the Word of God. Redouble your efforts to live lives of holiness. Redouble your efforts to tell others of Jesus. There is an urgency A priority that comes from understanding the will and purpose of God. And then finally, Peter closes his letter with two verses that tell us that we must live actively for Christ. He says in verse 17 that we are to live lives in which we guard. We guard the truth. We guard our principles. And we guard our stability. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error. Guard the truth. Don't be swept up with public opinion. Don't be swept up with error just because others make it sound good. Because you see, this kind of error is an error that is brought by lawless people. People who are unprincipled. He says you need to guard your principles. Know who you are in Christ. This is the way that you live. And don't be unstable. Don't be tossed from one way to the other. Be solid upon solid ground. The ground of the Word of God. And then he also says that as you live actively, you should expect to grow. Verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's an encouragement from Peter that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of how comprehensive that is. We are to grow in knowledge. We are to learn. We learn about Jesus. Who He is. What He has done. What He has said. But we are also to grow in our obedience to Him. Because He is, of course, our Lord, Peter says. We're to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our obedience. And we are also to grow in our understanding and grasping of the promises of Christ. Because we are to grow in the grace of Christ. And that's what that means. It doesn't mean we go out we try and find some mystical substance called grace and hoard it. What it means is we go to the Word of God and find the promises of God where the grace of God is found. And if we live actively guarding ourselves in the truth and growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, the final thing that we will do is that we will live actively glorifying Jesus. The last words of this letter. To Him be the glory. Now note, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You see, it is all about Jesus right now, isn't it? It's all about glorifying Christ right now. Just as it will be all about Jesus forever. His is the glory. His is the purpose. And if we live lives focused upon Christ and His glory, then the Father and the Spirit, and yes, the Son, will bless us with mercy and grace, and the longing to have His will be our will. Amen and Amen. Let's pray.